my college roommate was a guy by the name of Mike, and uh, Mike and I just really hit it off big time. Uh, we both were basketball junkies, and uh, we just were really, really tight. And the first couple of uh, months of being in college, uh, we partied a lot, and we had a lot of fun, maybe a little bit too much fun, um, but we vibed really, really well. And then after that, uh, we continued to connect with one another until about uh, the three-month mark. And just before the semester was over, I woke up one night and Mike was in my bed grabbing onto my leg and shaking like a leaf. And when this happened, it kind of freaked me out a little bit and I was like, Ah, like, dude, what are you doing? And the next day, he went back home, and he was home for a couple of weeks, and he went to counseling, and when he came back, he had shared with me that he had been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And the panic attacks continued on, and Because I wasn't so sure about mental illness and some of the struggles that were going on in his life and how I could respond to it, I would just stay away from the room. I wanted nothing to do with being in there, and I tried to stay away as much as I could. But each time I'd leave the room and people would say, hey, what's going on with your roommate? I'd put him down and I'd say how weird he was and how I didn't feel comfortable going back. And rather than actually going to him and saying, hey, I'm struggling uh, with this and I don't understand it. Could you help me? I just kept talking behind his back. And eventually what transpired was I actually decided I wasn't going to be his roommate anymore, but I didn't tell him. And I got three other guys, and we got together, and we went ahead and we uh, put some money out for an off-campus apartment, a house that we rented, but I never told him, and Mike found out from somebody else in the dorm. And at that point, our relationship was severed, and... We didn't talk after that. You know, sometimes it amazes me when I look back on my life just how judgmental I have been. The truth is, is that even though I've grown a lot in this area of my life, there are times in which I'm still quite tempted to be judgmental. Do you ever struggle with being judgmental? Have you ever kind of looked at somebody else's issue and kind of made it really big and blew it out of proportion, but you kind of let yours stay very, very small and the issues that you have? Have you ever looked at the speck maybe in someone else's behavior, but when you look at your own behavior, you have a tendency to ignore that? And so today, as we continue on in our series of Relate, what I want to talk about is how sometimes these kind of relationships can have things within them that can create a relationship breakdown, that can take our relationships kind of off track. Jesus put it this way. He said this, 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. So today, what we're talking about is a plank and a speck. Now, the truth is, is that you can divide all people throughout the world, all people throughout the world, in two different categories. One category is everybody else, and the other category is you. And so... Here's the question that I have for you this morning. Who, which of these circles are you in charge of? Which one? All of you out there listening right now, which circle are you in charge of? Me. Okay. Now, let me ask you this question. All of you up in the balcony, it's nice to see balcony people after a few weeks. All you people in the balcony, which one of the circles are you not in charge with? Balcony people. Yeah, everybody else. That's it. And Jesus' teaching here is not subtle. He says there are other people who do wrong things and they have their faults. And then there are your faults. Now you would think I would be much more aware of my own faults than other people's faults. Right? I mean, you would think that I would be much more aware of my own problems first because they're my problems. Like I should understand my problems. But often, I don't notice them at all. This is the problem with the plank. I can't see my problems. I can't see my habit of blaming other people. I can't see my habit of judging other people. I can't see the habit of avoiding taking responsibility for my own problems. I mean, people go through their whole life and they never identify, let alone take responsibility for, that their real problem is themselves. And this is so common that probably many of you right now, here on the lower level, those of you in the balcony, all of you that are on the stream right now, this is a problem that many of us have. Is that we're thinking to ourselves, I should have invited somebody here today. I know of a person that they should be here. They should be here. They should be here. Well, the good news is this. They are here. The bad news is they are you. You know, the problem with looking at someone else's speck instead of looking at your own plank has been a problem since the beginning of humanity. I mean, just think about the first two people, Adam and Eve, when they're placed in a garden in paradise, everything's wonderful, and yet they begin to start 
blaming. They blame and they disobey God and they eat the fruit. And once they make the sin, they start to blame. And they're kind of like, God, we don't want you to be our God. We want to be our own God. We want to be the creator, not the creation. And from their rebellion, this is how the conversation goes. The Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I, what's the next word? Hid. The Lord asked him, how or or have you eaten the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yes, Adam and Eve, uh, yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me. You brought me who bought, brought me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? The serpent tricked me, she replied. That's why I ate it. I love this story because, folks, we're not even through the first two chapters of the Bible. And the two people on planet Earth are starting to start a blaming scenario That is amazing. I mean, Adam blames Eve and then he even blames God. He's like, God, you gave me the woman. I didn't choose her. You did. And ever since then, there's been blame. Then Eve goes ahead and she's she's like, well, I'm not to blame. The serpent's the one who did it. And then both Adam and Eve finally admit, yeah, we did eat the fruit. And ever since then, what human beings have been great at, the number one game we love to play is the blame game. Now, in this blame game, the question becomes, who do we blame? Well, first of all, we blame other people. It sounds something like this. It's your fault that this happened to me. It's your fault that I had to make that decision. It's your fault. You did this to me or you said this this to me or you hurt me. Now, there are two different types of blame. There's genuine blame and there's false blame. False blame we see all the time in our litigious society. People will actually like sue somebody for something that is just false. But they'll do it anyways. And then they kind of becomes this victim mentality. But the truth is, folks, in the culture that we're in, there are some victims because, frankly, there are some jerks in this life, aren't there? I bet you have come across one or two jerks, right? Now, don't point at them right now, okay? Uh, But you know who they are. And we respond to real jerks. It's really important how we respond to them. Martin Luther King Jr. was a person who was beaten and hosed and assaulted multiple different times. I mean, there were tons of racist jerks who assaulted him and tried to assassinate him multiple different times before they finally succeeded. And undoubtedly, he could have played the victim card and people would have understood But even when there is genuine blame that could be assigned, Dr. King would not allow his victimization or his his perpetrators to rule over him or to cripple him. 
He would not allow them to take away the purpose that he had in his life and his meaning and significance that God had placed within him. And King pointed his finger to the blatant racism that existed then and that we still find today. But he responded in nonviolent ways that did not rob his identity. See, he had a dream. It's just his dream wasn't to blame somebody else. So first of all, we have a tendency to blame other people. Secondly, we tend to blame God. We say, well, God, you created the earth. You made me like this. You set up my messed up family system with all these crazies. You did it, God. And it works kind of like this, and it makes sense in a certain way. God could have made us robots. Remember the dance, the robot? Yeah, like like God could have created us like that. He could have created us like robots where we did and said everything perfectly and we would have never been tempted to blame him for anything. But what kind of world, what type of living would that be? I mean, in that world, there is no free will. And free will is essential for living and loving God and loving other people. I always put it this way. Uh, my girls, when they were younger, sometimes I would not give them free will and I'd say, come here and give me a hug. And I'd just hold on to them. But you know what the greatest thing about a being a parent is? Is when they choose to come to you and they give you a hug or love because free will is such a gift and it's the gift that we have. Sadly, though, uh, potentially sometimes what our free will will do is make us do stupid, harmful, damaging things. And sometimes it involves innocent people. So we tend to blame God. We blame others. And then lastly, we blame Satan. Have you ever heard somebody say this? The devil made me do it. I mean, it wasn't my choice. Just like the devil came right up in me, and I did it. But it wasn't me. It was the devil that made me do it. And Eve is very quick to point out, it's Satan who did this, who made me eat the fruit. Now, there is a real and malicious being called Satan. And that word Satan, actually, if you look at it, it actually means the accuser. In Revelation, the very last book of the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, it refers to Satan as an accuser, as someone who passes blame. And, and what Satan does is he's constantly blaming you and blaming you and blaming you and blaming you and blaming you. And even when you mess up and you flub up and you screw up and you know that God forgives you, Satan will say, are you sure you should blame yourself? And sometimes people go through their entire lives constantly blaming themselves. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, I want you to know that there is a real enemy and he is slick and he will lie and he will deceive. But the bottom line is he can't force you to do anything that you don't want to do. And that's why when you do something wrong, you take responsibility for yourself, no matter what carrot he might dangle in, 
in front of you. Folks, we all have a tendency to blame other people, to blame God, to blame Satan. And so my question for you this morning is this. Which of these do you, which of these three do you have a tendency to blame? Are you the kind of person that when something goes wrong, you're like, oh, who can I pass that on to? Or when your finances aren't going real well and you're like, well, God, look what you've done, even though you've like maxed out four credit cards. God, it's your fault. Or do you have a tendency to kind of blame Satan or the devil made me do it kind of mentality? I mean, where are you when it comes to looking at the plank in your eye rather than looking at the specks in everyone else's eye? Andy Stanley is a uh, pastor in Atlanta, a great communicator, and uh, he talks about different times people will come into his office with a distressed marriage. And when they come in with this distressed marriage, typically there's just one spouse. And when that one spouse walks in to his office, they will talk about their spouse who's not there, how everything in their marriage is their fault, and they are the partner who is to blame. And Andy will say, well, you know, clearly the person who's the real problem is not here, so here's what I'm going to do. And then he says he'll draw a circle, and when he draws the circle... He'll say this circle represents 100% of the blame, 100% of the pain, 100% of the chaos that's going on in your marriage. So what I want you to do is whatever part of the pie that represents the part of your responsibility, I want you to draw it in. And he said typically what happens is they'll draw a little slice there. And then you have this small little slice, and then you have the rest of the pie and how big it is. Now, guess which slice typically represents the person who's walked into his office? The small little slice or the big slice? Which one? Yeah, the small little one. This is me. This how much of the problem is me. And then the rest of the pie, it's them. This is how much of the blame and responsibility is on them. I just have this little bitty sliver, but the main problem is them. And then Andy will often say something like this. Well, since them isn't here... Let's just work on your little sliver of the pie. And here's what's interesting. He says in most cases, and I found this true as I've counseled people as well, they cannot talk about the slice of the pie that is me. They keep coming back to them and them and them and them. It's all them. Because people get so addicted. We do this to complaining about the speck in somebody else's eye rather than taking care of the plank that's in our own eye. 
So, we might call this whole circle, we might call it the circle of responsibility. And I would encourage you to use this on anything. If it's your marriage, you circle it and you go, okay, which part of the pie am I responsible for? When it comes to parenting, okay, my kid got mad, they got angry, they got upset. Which part of it is mine? Uh, use this at your work. You have a coworker that you're kind of struggling with and you're like, okay, well, which part of it is mine? Uh, kids, all of you who are back in school, you can kind of look at it, you know, with your parents. Like, okay, we have this argument. Which part of it is mine? Now, this is what I want to say. If you will focus on the sliver that is yours, which is your life of being responsible with what you've done, what God has placed you responsible for, you're going to grow. If you focus on your part, your life is going to grow. Your heart will go grow and you'll begin to start praying. God, change me. Change my life. Change my heart. God, grow me. God, guide me. God, change me. And what will happen is your responsibility will increase in the kingdom and you'll get bigger with what God wants to do in your life. On the other hand, if you're the kind of person who is always looking at the pie and going, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. Your problems will get bigger and bigger and your resentment and your negativity will grow and your kingdom that God has for you will actually shrink and you'll become less and less and less of who he's created you to be. You see, folks, blame is never productive. Blame wastes energy. Blame poisons families. Blame spoils relationships. It undermines workplaces. It violates love. But I'm telling you, I can be so quickly to rationalize it. A few years ago, my wife Jennifer and I had uh, the honor and privilege to go to Kenya on a medical mission trip. And when we went on this uh, trip, our main focus was to go to hospitals where there were people who were dying of AIDS or where we would go to orphanages where there were orphans who had been thrown away many times into uh, different uh, trash bags and would be left alone because they had AIDS. And we would care for them. And it was an amazing experience. Opened our eyes to so much. But before we went on the trip, we had to go to the health department and we had to get some shots and we had to take some pills for both yellow fever and malaria. And I had a really busy day and there were like more important things and doing that in my mind. And so I walked in and I just had a really bad attitude. Any of you ever have bad attitudes before? If you don't think you do, just ask the person beside you because they'll tell you. Okay, Uh, they know. Well, uh, I didn't have a good attitude, and then when I walked in, uh, the woman who was in charge of the health department, she was a force of nature. Have you ever met people like this before? I walked in, she goes, oh, 
You're the pastor of the jar. I've been waiting to meet you. I've heard so many amazing things in your church and your people and, and like what the church is doing and so great. And I bet you're just on cloud nine with what you get to do now. Like you're able to go to Kenya and you get to travel and you get to see these amazing sights and you get to help all of these little kids who have AIDS and to give them life and to hug on them and love them. You must be loving this moment. I was like, whoa, not really, but I guess I am now, you know. And this is the truth about me, is that it's very easy for me to fail to live with gratitude and love and responsibility and energy and excitement and enthusiasm and faith and dependence on God and joy. And then it's very easy for me to blame it on my schedule, my work, what my family's telling me to do, other people and outside forces, those them, instead of looking at me. And yet, taking responsibility for your life is part of God's greatest plan of growth in your life. People grow when they take responsibility. When they don't, they diminish. Well, 15 years after I had kind of ditched this relationship with Mike, I was praying very holy uh, as we had started the jar. And I was like, God, you know, if there's any blind spots, if there's anything in my life that, you know, I haven't owned up to, God, that I've hurt somebody, would you let me know? And all of a sudden, Mike's face came into my mind. And I felt this kind of prompting, not verbally in my ears, but just a prompting that said, Chris, it's time to get the plank out of your eye and make things right with Mike. So I got his phone number from the alumni office and I called him and when I called him, I I thought he would just kind of go off. He's like, oh man, it's so great to hear from you. How are you doing? And then he told me that he had gotten married. He had two kids and uh, it just got harder and harder because he was so nice over the phone. And yet God was asking me to deal with my plank. And so finally, I just had to interrupt him. I'm like, hey, Mike, I'm, I'm so glad we're able to reconnect. But this is the real reason why I called. I called to ask for forgiveness for the way that I treated you. Now I talk behind your back. And how I uh, went and got other roommates. And I left you high and dry to try to find roommates yourself in our senior year. And then all of a sudden there was a real long pause on the phone. Don't you hate pauses? I mean, I just hate pauses like that. That's what God does. He, he often likes to put pauses in our life so with that we see things the way that he sees them rather than the way we do. And so I paused and then all of a sudden Mike goes, yeah, Chris, it really did hurt because I had to just kind of really try to find a roommate quickly and it was hard. And I was still struggling with panic. But I want you to know that I forgive you. And I don't hold anything against you. And I said, thank you so much. And, you know, all of a sudden, this was the weird thing. When I actually said, I have a plank in my eye, then all of a sudden, this is what he did. 
he started to talk about some of the planks in his eyes that he had had toward me during college that I didn't even know about. And this is what happened. As we started removing the planks from our eyes, we were able to see each other so much more clearly. Several years ago, I was uh, preparing a message on this teaching, and uh, I had an image that it wasn't just a plank, but it was like a two-by-four that uh, I had to deal with. And so uh, this week, I went ahead and uh, asked a friend of mine who's an artist. I said, you know what? I want to remember that I need to deal with the plank in my life before I look at the speck in somebody else's eye. And so I had her kind of develop this, and you can see this, judging others, blaming others. It's a plank that's in my eye. And then all of a sudden I started thinking, but actually it's not just one side. I could actually flip it around, and there's other stuff that are planks in my eyes, like avoiding my problems. Or ignoring the needs of others. And uh, if you were to talk to my wife and my kids, they'd say, oh, he's got a few more too. And I could start writing those on here. In fact, they'd probably tell you that there's not enough planks in a lumber yard for me to have to deal with all of this. And the reality is, folks, we all have a plank. But I want to be reminded, and I'm going to put this in my office, that I want to be the kind of person who focuses on the plank in my eye rather than looking at the speck in someone else's. Folks, it's my desire, with God's help, to actually just start removing some of those planks in my eyes. And this is why we want planks to be removed, folks. Because when we remove them, we begin to see people the way that Jesus does. Jesus put it this way, Before you look at the speck in someone else's eye, pay attention to the plank in your own eye. So this week, Let's stop trying to straighten everybody out. Uh, Do you have that problem? I think most human beings do. We always want to straighten somebody out. First in our own home, and then it kind of gets wider and wider, but we want to straighten other people out. And this week, instead of doing that automatically and getting defensive and trying to justify or excuse whatever our behavior is, Maybe we could just say, God, help me, and then actually own it. Yep, those were my words. Those were my habits. Those are my actions. Those are my patterns. Those are my thoughts. It's me. And this week, that you would just simply ask God, like I did, say, God, would you help me identify whatever the planks are that are in my life? And I trust you to help me remove them so I can see others 
the way that Jesus does. Let's pray. God, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come both in this room and to uh, each person who is online and just to, to come to you, God. And, and we want to come and we want to ask this question, God, would you help me to identify my plank? What is the plank, God, that's in my eye? God, would you give us a word? Would you give us a behavior? Would you give us maybe a negative attitude? Show us right now, what is it? Is the plank gossip? Is it anger? God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal that to each one of us? And maybe you might write it down or actually just text it in your phone right now. Just say, you know what, I'm going to put this down because this needs to be on my two by four. Now, if you're willing, I'm going to lead you right now in a, a prayer. It may be the most powerful prayer for any relationship that you could ever have. And the prayer will actually come on your screen or come up on the side screens. And I'd like you to open your eyes just for a second and to see this prayer and for us to pray this out loud in one voice. And so on the count of three, we'll pray this together. One, two, three. Lord, change me. Let's pray it again. Lord, change me. Folks, it's not Lord, change her. It's not change him. It's not change it. It is Lord, change me. Change my attitude. Change my pattern of negative thinking. Change my sarcasm towards my spouse. Change the way I nag at my children. Change my defensive spirit. Change my stubborn streak. God, show me what is the plank in my eye. Because I want to change. Now maybe for some of you right now, the plank in your eye is that you've been blinded by personal blame. You look at your past, you look at what's been going on in your life, and you just keep blaming yourself. And I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And you've tried maybe to blame God, to blame other people, maybe even Satan. But you're like, it all is me. It's my fault. And today, what God wants to do in a real way is he wants to come to you and he says, I want you to stop the blaming game. Stop blaming yourself and come to me. And Jesus says that if you'll come to him, he will give you new life and you can stop blaming everyone else and stop blaming him and stop blaming yourself and to receive his new life. So today, if you're ready to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. 
I need your change. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your grace. I need you with me today. Change me, God. If you're ready to surrender to him, if you're ready to say, I want the plank to be removed. I don't want to see the world the way I've been seeing it. I want to see it with fresh eyes, with the way that Christ has given to me. Then I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. And you don't pray it alone. We all pray it together. And so I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Change me. Make me brand new. I believe, Jesus, you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, follow you, and serve you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Uh, Welcome to the kingdom of God. Um, If you are there and you said this prayer for the first time on the stream, there's a little uh, raise hand button that you can just tap on and someone uh, in our host set would love to talk to you. Uh, if you said that prayer for the first time or you've kind of come back to church and you're like, hey, you know what? I want God in my life. We have a gift for you. Just come down here uh, and you can get that if you just stay in your seats for a second, though. Uh, what will happen is we'll kind of dismiss you uh, so that everyone gets out healthy and in a social distance kind of way. If you need prayer for anything, if you're like, I need some prayer, then what I'm going to ask you to do is down here on the main level in the back right-hand corner, we've kind of created a private space where you could get prayer for anything. If you're online and you'd like prayer for anything, uh, just let one of our hosts know. They would love to be able to pray with you. Now, as you're leaving today, uh, your Connect card, if you put a prayer down or any other concern that you need, uh, when you walk out, there'll be two boxes that you can put that Connect card in or your offering. If you're like, hey, I wanted to get financially God moved, I want to bless him, bless the church, uh, you can do that as well. And in just a second... Uh, the greeters will come. They'll dismiss you by row. Wait till you kind of get out into the parking lot. And uh, when you do that, uh, you can talk to each other, hang out, uh, reminisce, uh, get to know each other more. And uh, if this whole issue of plank and spec you want to work at, there's some ways that we can help you with this, both through our small groups and Celebrate Recovery that will meet online on Tuesday. And so we'd encourage you to do that. So this week, folks, I want you to know there is no perfect people, including the guy right here. But may we go through this week and may we remove our plank and not be so judgmental towards the speck so that we may see other people like Jesus sees you. And here's your air hug for everyone here and everyone in the balcony. We're glad you're here. Everyone online, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.